Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hey, everybody. Chad Madden here with the Grow Your Practice podcast. And in this episode, uh, we have a very special guest, uh, Steve Line. Steve Line is a uh, private practice owner in Columbus, Nebraska. I usually say Columbus, Ohio, but I think I nailed it this time. Uh, Steve has, I believe, three locations, thinking about adding a fourth, um, and uh, has been on Virtual Summit. Steve, welcome to the podcast, and uh, please fill in any gaps I, I left there. Thank you, Chad. This is a tremendous opportunity. I really appreciate it. Nope, that's, uh, I think you pretty much nailed it. We got three locations. Um, yeah, we're working on the fourth, uh, the fourth one as we speak, kind of trying to find the right location. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, wanna, I, I have some private practice questions, uh, but before we get into that, want to know your story. How'd you become a PT? I, I really love your, uh, where you grew up and your work ethic too. So, if you can talk about that, what it was like growing up, where you grew up at, and how you sure, sure. decided to become a therapist. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I think it was probably no different than, than many people. It, uh, I think most of us that are PTs are either athletes, um, had our own injuries, and uh, went, to, went to PT and had our own experiences there and kind of built off of that. Well, the same was true for me. I was an athlete, had some injuries went to PT. I was in, you know, unfortunately some car wrecks when I was young, a little bit of a wild kid. So yeah, I had, had some problems and, uh, but went to PT for that. And, um, you know, really, I, I really enjoyed the combination of, of being in healthcare, something I could do as an occupation. Yet when I watched them do the therapy and they're doing the therapy on me, I was like, wow, this is kind of like working out, kind of like being at the gym, which I enjoyed anyway. So I'm like, this is a perfect blend of things. So, um, and then the other, the other thing, obviously, um, it, it would be remiss if I didn't mention it. And that's just coming out of the background that I'm from in, uh, in Northeast Kansas, um, pretty poverty stricken. Uh, and, and I know that's not a story that's different than any of your listeners. A lot of people have that kind of background, but you know, it's pretty much first generation to go to college you know, uh, kind of story. So, um, wanted to get out of that, wanted to have a better life. You know, I kind of just decided, you know, I'm just, we're not going to continue this cycle anymore. And so wanted to better myself. And I think all of those ingredients honestly brought it all together and, uh, grades were good enough, thankfully. And, uh, we were able to get in school, which of course is the biggest, the biggest hurdle it seems like, but, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of the background of it. Great. Uh, yeah. Just out of curiosity, what kind of farm did you grow up on? Oh, we were we were pretty much grain farmers, but um, very very small farmers. You know, my folks were um, they were three job apiece kind of parents. I mean, uh, worked in town. Mom was a school secretary. Dad worked for Case International as a parts man for thirty six years. You know, back in a time when people took jobs and they never left. You know, there was a there was a level of loyalty there that I really admired in my folks but uh then I also farmed on the side and then my mom took a job as a CNA at the local nursing home and then did some sales of you know the Mary Kay and Tupperware different things like that and then my dad had an extra job where he would work um doing welding and different things so I mean they they were both non-stop working yeah. um 
so I did admire what they were trying to do to, to elevate us. Um, and so I picked up that and it's like, well, how can I really take this to hopefully the next level? So great. So yeah. after you graduated PT school, um, how many years before you opened up in uh, private practice? Uh, PT schools in 97. It's terrible. I have to think about these things. I got to sit and ponder, like, when You're did this actually happen? Uh, but 1997 graduated. And then uh, by 1998, a year later, I got an opportunity to be a director of a clinic. Mm -hmm. um, and then that opened up into, we're going to close the clinic in 99. It was spring of 1999. And my boss called me and said, Hey, we're, we're going to shut the doors. And it's just, you know, not, we're not where we want to be. It was a, one of a clinic of, you know, hundreds that health South health fitness rehab, that whole conglomerate back in the day had together. And so I just said, Hey, can I, can I go ahead and just buy the chairs, the computers, the stuff you have, and just keep going. He's like, well, I suppose you could, you know? So I, I just did that. So in 99, so two years after I almost to the day, May 3rd of 1999 is when we got incorporated. So almost exactly two years after I graduated. Nice. So uh, pretty gutsy move, uh, fresh out of yeah. college, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I know you've learned a lot along the way. And I, um, I, had the I so you wrote a book called The Feel Good Experience. Um, and I want to talk a lot about that because ultimately what you did was talk about way more than <laughs> just the, uh, providing you know, the high quality of care and growing exactly. word of mouth referrals. You, mm -hmm. you, you really did a deep dive into uh, your, your 20 plus years of experience as a practice owner. So yep. um, first question I have for you is what ultimately led to uh, the, that initiative to write a book? Cause I know it's a, having done it myself, it's a big task. It's a big undertaking. Yeah. And I, I asked you questions too about like, is it, should it be this hard? I think was the, was the question I asked you and you're like, yes, it is. So um, you didn't sugarcoat it for me, <laughs> but it, um, you know, it was a part of a concept that is going to sound like a pizza dream a little bit, but I was on a flight going to Oregon to, uh, my wife's cousin's wedding in 2006 and literally just, just exhausted from all the stress and everything. And so I literally slept through the whole flight. It was like a two, two and a half hour flight from Omaha to, to Portland. And went to sleep, woke up, and I just had all this stuff that like came to me. I'm, I'm going to give God the glory for this one because I'm not probably bright enough to put all this together, but I just saw it. Also, I just told my wife, Christine, I said, hey, gra grab me a piece of paper quick before we land. And I just jotted everything out as fast as I could because it was really vivid at that point. Uh, the paradigm, the, you know, the, the pyramid, everything that was laid out, all the different layers the skills that were necessary, all the different stations, just taking, and I know I'm tangenting a little bit from your question, but um, it originally started there, you know, that concept of, of what I had created for customer service. And I felt that it would position us differently than the competition, which the competition in our hometown is like a lot of towns. It's, it's really aggressive, um, have hospital backing, have physician support. Uh, we do not, you know, we're the kids from the other side of the tracks, you know, mm -hmm. so to speak. And that's, that's okay. That's how I've always been. And so I think this fight was probably not that difficult for me. We thought if we do something different, which if we service the consumer better, 
um, that's gonna that's gonna help propel us and help us grow. This concept has stuck with me over the years, and I've revised it a little bit, and we've used it in training over the years. I made my own Microsoft Publisher workbooks, but I've always wanted to just publish it. You know, I just wanted to make it official because it never felt official. Like it felt like it was just a high school book report. You know, I, you know, it's on a piece of paper. And I was like, I got to get this thing done, and so it just kept going, kept going, and I was at your. I think it would have been one of your last, it would have been the last, I think, actual, you know, uh, 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 boot camps, growth X quarterlies where um, Chandler Bolt was there, mm-hmm. talked about self-publishing school, and that was kind of the sales, like, okay, this will get me going. So I signed up with self-publishing school and and did their coursework and, and did their coaching and everything, and then took it from there, you know, one step at a time to get it published. So. Yeah, I, I'm super happy to give Chandler a free plug. So you can share as much as you want to about that experience. And I, um, I went through his coursework as well and uh, had met Chandler back in 2015. And uh, yeah, just followed his process and was able to publish two books, I think three months apart, um, which was uh, kind yeah. of ridiculous. But yeah, if you can talk through that a little bit, what that was like. Um, sure. So you have your original brain dump. It sounds like on your yes, yeah, with with your uh, with Christine. Yep. And, uh, so can you talk about how you went from the brain dump and what you learned probably the most uh, throughout the publishing process? Well, it probably the real learning was taking it out of theoretical, right? And it's like it's a brain dump based upon my years as working in a grocery store, years of hauling hay for farmers, here's all these things and just how people treat one another. So there's a little background that even built to that point. But once the brain dump happened, then it's, you know, I went back and showed it to my, my partner at that time. I think if we were even partners yet. Yeah, we would have been. That would have been our first year together. And uh, he's like, this is amazing, dude. This is absolutely incredible. He's like one of those, uh, I don't know, aha moments. Um, and so... It's like, then we had to put it into action, right? Like, I got to put it in so we can train it. And we really used it to train, you know, just all of our staff that come in over and over. And we do team training with them, um, guide them through the drills, guide them through. I mean, it, it gets a lot deeper. Obviously, I couldn't go into that much detail in the book on specific drills and everything that we do with customer service, but it's all geared around that. Um, just little by little putting into action. Then I saw where, okay, this, this worked now, you know, like in 2006 and seven, it worked, but we noticed the shift in whether it's uh, insurance things, uh, payer sources. So then those priorities for the consumers started to become a little more important to them as opposed to, can I get the appointment time I wanted? So there was a little shift in a few priorities, but for the most part, it's the same, but we kind of tweaked it over the years. Um, But then getting into self-publishing school, um, they have a fairly well laid out um, system, as you know, that takes you through it. You, you do the coursework. Um, obviously, I started on the coursework, and then my coach at the time was like, "Well, what do you want to write about?" And I'm like, well, "I've already got the book. It's done." You know, I. He's like, "You do?" And I showed it to him. He's like, "Oh my god!" He's like, "Let's just bypass all this and let's get you an editor. Let's get rolling." And so, um, good and bad, I, I jumped past some of the coursework and uh, just started hiring editors and starting to work through it. And that is where I got really, really 
deep in the weeds. I mean, that was a difficult part. Uh, what should this look like? A lot of my questions were, what should this thing look like when it's done? Uh, wanting a little bit of leadership from them. So I started employing my customer service style of leadership into the people I was hiring even, and almost kind of like counter training them, reverse engineering them a little bit because you, know, you hire someone, a lot of times it's just a transactional activity, which I talk about in the book. And like we hired an editor, I did the proofreading, your grammar looks good. Well, yeah, that's fine. But all the chapters aligning, does it sound right? Does it look right? Does it sell? Does it speak? Does it, you know, we are going to talk to somebody else about that. So I, I, am, I went through four editors. Um, and not that the first ones were bad. They just weren't quite where I needed them. So again, there's a, there's a case of customer service. How often do we do that as therapists, right? We have patients that just come up missing and you know they went somewhere, you know? So, and that's part of, of uh, what the book tries to teach you is how to look at that part differently. But to finish out the publishing then, got through the editing, got through the proofreading, and then I got referred to an interior book designer where I took all my graphics, made sure that I had all the citations, all the references, all that stuff together. And I kind of handed it over to him and then we worked on the cover design and the formatting. And I had a couple different groups help me with that. I had a group that self-publishing school uh, recommends with the uh, cover design, did a phenomenal job. And, um, you know, it was great when you can just say, hey, this is what the book is about. You just tell them and they feel it. And then they come back, well, we'll have something for you in, in a day. And I'm like, well, whatever. <laughs> I don't believe that because I've been through this before. Other people tried giving me cover designs. It took them four weeks. They still didn't have it. They literally came back a day later and had it and they nailed it. This is impressive. Uh, 100 covers did uh, did the book design. So, but yeah, published on June 11th. So, great. And uh, and you hit a uh, a few top lists. So, please brag about that. Right out of the gate. Uh, yeah, it kind of shocked me because I and I'm I'm kind of oscillating. You know, it, it goes up and it comes down a little bit. And so I'm trying to work with the promotional side of things. Uh, to get better at it, but we hit the number one new release uh, for a couple of weeks. We were up there, um, and it and kept shocking it. me like this on Amazon. Sorry, uh, Amazon, yeah. um, and it kind of shocked me because I thought, well, there's got to be a glitch in this because that's the same as it was a few days ago, right? It's like did the screen freeze on me or something, you know? Then I come back and like, no, it's still there. So, um, and then it started to climb in the top 100. You know, the new. The, and Amazon does that. It breaks these categories up pretty specifically. And so uh, we hit number 22 in the top 100 for medical and reimbursement books. And um, it's been a couple of weeks ago now. But yeah, now I think we're sitting at 100 or something like that. So I mean, it's, I need to keep getting, you know, better at the promotional side of it and get more reviews and, and, uh, and those kind of things. So yeah, so, it's coming along. So it sounds. I, I want to ask you about ideal reader. It, it sounds like at least in the beginning, a lot of the concepts in the book when you started writing it were really internal for your group, for uh, your company to grow, and it was helping you with uh, you know laying out your vision of mm -hmm. what you wanted to do with your physical therapy company. With uh, obviously, you're selling this on Amazon, right? Or, right. or it's available on Amazon right now. Right. Who's the ideal reader? I kind of feel like it might be the, a practice owner, 
Can you talk through that a little bit? Who's this? Yeah, anybody in practice management. Um, it literally can involve anybody because my front desk could read this and, and they'll get it. And some of that is because they've been in the culture long enough. You know, obviously I reference as a therapist a lot in the book, you know, from a therapist viewpoint, but it really is all about the, the system and service of running a PT practice. So it can be anybody that works in a PT clinic, you know, you, you could literally take it department and if they wanted to move in that direction which rarely i see that but they may uh this would definitely work in that case um practice manager for sure uh, practice owner for sure but it, it, there's a lot of, of specifics to the doers and the workers of the clinic that um it, it would speak to them as well so anybody in billing anybody in front desk you know anybody as an aide you know, anybody that's working around patients. Yeah. Great. So any, anybody working in physical therapy, I think it's a period for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would even venture to say that from going through it, um, anybody in a healthcare service-based business that doesn't have a beacon, doesn't have a guiding light within their industry, mm -hmm. I, I think they could read it and apply 99% of, of the concepts that you're talking about in creating yep. the same idea. Mm -hmm. Cool. So, sure. um, the, so I, I want to ask you about the, the key concepts in the book. Um, mm -hmm. is it, and I'll kind of let you drive here. Um, sure. as you were going through there, is there any, like, what do you feel is, uh, most unique, um, within the marketplace? I know you, you and I exchange a lot of ideas and books that right. we've read everything else. Um, so as you were going through, is there one key concept that is just like, this is the Steve line principle, something that you, uh, you know, have your stamp on of, and, uh, your signature on. I'd like to say it's my signature, but it, I certainly really a high level of focus on a perceived level of care, uh, as it pertains to the feel good experience is number one. And that is the first skill set. And if you have someone within the organization that just can't seem to grasp that, like, what does that mean? You know, because people are coming here for therapy, right? What difference does it make, right? So uh, they're going to struggle with it. Um, so they ha you have to take yourself out of that mindset, assuming that you know what the consumer is coming for. And you have to do some fact-finding. So you want to have that level of perception to, to them. And that's done by the senses, you know, and I spent a fair amount of time in the book talking about that, you know, targeting, making sure that you know, how many clinics I've walked into, it, it amazes me that the amount of clutter in different things that is visible from the front, you walk in and it's like, oh my God, there's like a box of trash laying right there. And, and it probably has been sitting there for days. And I promise you, everybody's been walking by it and they haven't noticed it. And, but being cognizant of those things, putting yourself in that mindset of evaluation to look for things that are unpleasant to the site, um, sounds, you know, making sure that you're targeting the right sounds. In other words, we're all constantly trying to speak to each other in a certain tone. We're, we're not perfect by any means. I want to be clear on that. It's, we are real. There are things that go off the rails. We, we fail to, but making sure that every interaction we have between team members, you know, here's a, here's a team member culture thing that if your teammates are talking to each other, appropriately, professionally, kindly, they're trying to help each other out, trying to be guiding, leading, 
consumer hears that. We've got thousands of success stories that state those things specifically. We're so nice to go into a company and see the top management and the workers all get along and everybody speaks politely and professionally to each other. Nobody is, you know, being rude, all those kind of things. So it is noticed. So they want to hear that. They don't go in there so they can be stressed out, right? So you got someone that comes forward, say it's a manager and they're yelling at a at an employee. And I've witnessed it many times. And uh, it, it's just not a good feel, you know, and that's not going to create an environment for healing for patient by any means. Yeah. So, and I can keep rolling through the other, but I mean, everybody knows the five senses and it's, that's, there's a lot of time spent with that. I did a really, really deep dive on emotional intelligence um, to add into it. And it, I feel the book is very, very unique in everything I've read in way of customer service because it does break down into the exact, oh, this is why, this is how, um, really at the granular level. Um, so, so I feel that's probably my stamp of my name on it so yeah i, I agree with you i i think um I, I have read similar ideas with regards to the five senses and very yeah. high-end uh dining or retail yeah I, right. I i've never seen it written about um in healthcare but i think it's so important that you know as a patient is coming through to have that consideration that perspective from their viewpoint what are they seeing you know, you right. mentioned the cardboard box laying there. Uh, you know, what are they hearing? Mm -hmm. uh, I know uh, we've had uh, some interesting neighbors <laughs> over the years in various clinics. <laughs> and uh, just thinking about and having consideration for the patient as they're going through and making sure that it, it is a healing environment. Absolutely. Um, re really, really smart. Um, and love that concept. Uh, the, and what's that called again? I used a specific phrase, perceived. Uh, yeah, the perceived level of care. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I, my question for you is, uh, Steve, I, and you briefly mentioned this, was there an experience that you had that led to paying attention, you know, that, that, that transformation? So I know, I know when you and I went through school, it's, hey, just provide high quality of care. What we do as clinicians is all that it's about. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, what was that experience? What was that aha moment, that cognition, that realization, like, hey, there's more to it than just the degree or the certificate that I have on the wall? Yeah, a couple different examples I have. Um, one was my own experience of going through physical therapy in high school. Um, I had injury in football and they're like, well, go to a physical therapist. And I'm like, oh, okay. And and so they're like, well, they're going to work with you and get your back feeling better. Well, I immediately am thinking hands-on. I'm thinking we're gonna, I'm going to get some manual work. I'm going to get treated like an athlete here. I'm going to get fixed, you know. I walked in and the guy was, was uh, no eye contact, you know, just their very poor communication style. Um, he was all transactional. I mean, it was like, okay, you're up next, you know, get on board. So he's like, follow me. I followed him into the room and he had me sit in a chair with uh, – uh, draw curtain uh, around and there was a another high school girl literally just right sitting across from me she had some neck problems and she had a cervical pack on her and then she's sitting there and her curtain is open wide open so she's just sitting there and I'm like well hello you know you know and um, he's like okay uh, it's a low back problem so you know where this is going right 
So it's a low back problem I have. So he's like, all right, uh, undo your pants and bring them down. I'm like, right, right in front of her, you know. I'm like, oh my God, this is like the worst <laughs> thing when you're 16 years old. I mean, oh my gosh, it was horrible. And he he didn't pick up on it. I'm like, are you sure? I mean, can we go somewhere? He's like, oh, this is, this is good right here. And I literally had to sit there with like in my underwear with a hot pack on it. That was the longest 10 minutes of oh. heat done in my life so and then after that he handed me literally that was it he did the heat pack and um then he came and he handed me literally like a five page thing of exercises so as you know way too many right it's like yeah. didn't go through them just handed them over and said all right uh bother you uh, schedule again that was it crazy and i walked out going this is ridiculous yeah and i know it's better than this so oh, my next experience, which was the complete opposite of that, was going through PT school. I um, did a, um, or it was before that, I'm sorry, I was at UNL time, but I wanted to spend some time shadowing. And so I went to a clinic here in Nebraska, uh, out in uh, Grand Island, Nebraska, and I'll give those guys tons of credit. Um, tremendous guys. They were ahead of the curve. They're the ones that pretty much got me onto some of the perceived care things. but. They were all about TLC. Um, the environment in there you went in, it was high energy. It was fast paced. Um, most of the other clinics that I had been in before were slow, quiet, dead. I mean, it felt like a funeral home, almost like a wake. Theirs was energetic. They had TVs going. They had TV. It felt like a sports bar. And so I'm like, these guys are onto something. And they were fortunately the first ones in town to really get going back in the late 80s. And so uh, competition wasn't there and they just exploded. So they, they ran high, high volume back when you could run high volume and kind of run it loosely at the edges. You know, it just, um, that was the part that I'm like, gosh, you got it. We could, we could bring all this together. It's a great concept. There's a way that we can bring it in so that it's so tightly held that nobody gets out of your grasp. They get the care they need. It's done ethically. It's done legally. All these things, but yet they feel like they are the most important person in the world. But these those guys had it figured out. They had a lot of energy in that place, and people kept moving. Um, they did recipe things a little bit, and I felt that that was fine. I, I started to learn that if one thing does work for twenty people, then why not do it? You know, if it provides help. Now, if it's not, you're still just doing it. That's a problem. Um, but I watched people get better. They, they loved them. They brought in casseroles, they brought in cookies, and I never noticed any patients be upset. They loved them. And I'm like, these guys got it figured out, but it was a very chaotic scene. It wasn't orderly. It was just throw them in and go, you know, literally run down a shoot. But, uh, I did learn a ton from them about the TLC side of things. Um, and that is where I then started doing more dives into, I've seen it done really, really poorly. I've seen it done a little better. Now, is there a way to put this into a scientific codified way of, of describing it so that others can read it and go, okay, I can implement this. So hopefully I've done that uh, with the book, but uh, those two experiences are definitely the thing that brought all this in. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, un unfortunately, a lot of us in uh, medicine, healthcare, especially healthcare based services, we, we don't know what a five star can look like. 
Correct. And, we, Correct. And, and especially as we're going through, you know, high school and we're an aspirational physical therapist or college, um, or we've only ever worked at one place and this is all we know, we don't quite understand what that does. And I think you do a nice job of painting what that picture can look like. And you just shared a pretty good dichotomy of, uh, you know, the old seventies mm-hmm. athletic trainer yep. type mentality <laughs> in your first experience. Right. Yep. And, uh, and also how, you know, how you can bring that TLC into the. the I will uh, say, I'll just, just kind of tag onto that a little bit. The, um, um, as far as, you know, that experience going from that end, the final piece, obviously come down to the thing I mentioned in the very beginning, and that was positioning. Cause I knew how our competition was here in this town and traditional therapists. I referenced that a lot also in the book and that's, it's not to be overgeneral. I know it sounds overgeneralized, sounds judgmental on some level, because nothing is all or none for the most part. I can't say all therapists are this way or act or behave this way, but there are certain patterns, right? Just like there's certain patterns of behavior to a teacher or a physician or uh, a guy who runs heavy equipment or a farmer. There's just certain strengths and weaknesses that those individuals possess, not good or bad. I just want to be clear on that. It doesn't sound like when I say the traditional therapist, it sounds like a put down because I've read the book several times. I'm like, yeah, if someone reads this wrong, they're going to think I'm kind of being harsh about it. It's That's not the intention. It's more just step back and be aware of how we all are as therapists because I possess that too. Yeah. I want to just focus on all the, the nerdy concepts, which are important, but yet focusing on range of motion and goniometries and all that stuff, patient could care less. You know, I just want to make sure that that part was, was established. So once I got here to town and I had to position myself away from that style of therapist in order to separate and go, hey, this guy's different. This group is different. That is when I really started to put it in and watch it work. Yeah. The other um, interesting thing that uh, I, I didn't see this in our notes or conversations beforehand, but I'm kind of picking it up right now. I am sure some of your, the competitors in your area are also independent where they're not relying on physician referrals or hospital or healthcare systems or anything like that. Um, But with your model where you're so focused on providing that five-star experience for the patient come through, do you think that gave you an edge or helped you uh, hedge at all when you were transitioning from being predominantly physician referral which we all were not too long ago, although Nebraska has been, I think, direct access since like 57 or something. Like forever, that. forever. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think that gave you an edge as you started marketing more and more direct to the consumer? 100%. Yeah. yeah I- so, so when we rolled into, I don't mean to cut you off, but we rolled into your stuff, you know, we had already been trying to do some different general public market. We were ready to make the digital jump to try to do some automated things. Uh, you guys is program was phenomenal i'm like this is it this is perfect but it absolutely we already had the foundation built so it was so much easier we do workshops and like because we were already ready to just go our own way so to speak do our own style bring the feel-good experience in the manner we know how to do it yeah so yeah i think we should be sending this to every every practice that's that's going uh direct to consumer i just i never thought about it that way until right now yep you're right um you have some other trends in, in here. Um, and the, the main thing that I got, Steve, uh, that you're seeing in the marketplace is 
increased pressure on costs, right? So, you know, as we're talking about opening additional locations or to Nova yep. clinics, we have employment expenses going up or at least pressure there fairly rapidly with, uh, even if we're not increasing wages, we're increasing uh, healthcare coverage costs yep. that, that gets more expensive every year, right? And at the same time, yes. we have uh, pressure downwards on yes. revenue with declining reimbursements. And I know uh, UHC has moved yep. into your area, um, not to pick on them, but that's, there are, it's a common pressure that we all face. So right. can you talk about, uh, so you have the five-star experience, obviously you've created something magical with, uh, you know, your, the culture in your company mm -hmm. and it's working really successful. How are you, and as a successful business owner, how are you envisioning the next five, 10 years in private practice PT? Well, <clears throat> yeah, the, the pressure downward, obviously I, we don't have a ton of options on how to address that other than pick up more ancillary, more cash base, more side, you know, side related things uh, to improve cash flow. Paramix is Paramix. Yeah. Um, and, and we've, we've worked really, really hard at trying to define out, <laughs> we tried teasing out the different ones that we wanted, like, hey, we want more work comp. And then we tried to really go and try to get work comps. The amount of work that we had to do again to overcome the the hospital in town that already has OC health contracts and stuff. It was an exorbitant amount of money we were investing in time and, and it was just for a very little return. So it's like, we actually were doing better just kind of leaving it alone for right now and just learning how to clean up efficiencies. So a lot of our management styles is, uh, it's all logistics. Um, you know, some clinics really pride themselves on, we, we're gonna make sure that we have a 100% outcome with every single person, which that's the same with us. But even with that, that will not assure us to make it to the end and to grow and so on and so forth. The way we're going to grow is just literally watching it like a math problem and making sure that we shave um, and protect lost visits, you know, early cancellations, you know, all the things that you've talked about with, with the breakthrough community. Um, when somebody cold calls us working with that front desk. I mean, we've got so many systems in place there that the minute someone's like, Hey, do you do the answer is yes. <laughs> no matter what, you know, we just get them in because, because they're really not asking, do you do dry needling? Um, they may, but what they really want to know is going to get better. You know, uh, we do all those things. Obviously we're not going to bait and switch somebody, but really for us to overcome a 10 to $12, uh, deficit net collections. Um, you're going to make it up through volume. You're going to make it up through smarter cost savings. Um, you know, we're always doing ROI back measures on marketing, on our labor. Um, I've created all the tools in this company that have a lot of dashboards where we convert out, uh, you know, and it gets a little touchy for some people, but their salary, their benefits, their total value to the company in cost. Mm -hmm. so the company has to pay for them. This was their level of production. This was their level of net income off of their production. This was their return on investment for the company. And if we're not hitting a three to one, I mean, it's like the pressure comes down on them. And we've had some that hit two, two and a half. And it's like, man, we got to figure this out. You know, we got to get you higher. 
you know, so a lot of it has been down to the logistics level of, of trying to get that, get that squeeze correctly done. Um, so yeah, cost per employee. Um, when we invest in somebody, again, CEUs, all of this stuff, every single thing that comes to my table or a PO suggestion, like, hey, I want to go to this course. They know what's coming next. Like, hey, no problem. Let's sit down and talk about it. What are you going to do with it? How's it going to help me? How's it going to help this clinic? what's going to get people better it is tell me how it's going to get people better and it's not to be a jerk about it it's just but i think every therapist should think about that stuff i think everybody should if you're going to spend the time going why do you want it just to get the ceu that's great you know what i got some great online courses you can do you know you know they can get set up there a lot cheaper um and a couple other things that i'm doing uh going forward is i've already started um, creating employment agreements, legally binding people to, particularly if they're uh, making demands, they want, hey, I want more CEU money, I want, uh, I want a bigger salary. You know, some people they just feel that they're worth more. Like, well, you got to prove it to me. Let's look at the numbers. And in the end, they still feel, right? It's hard to break the feel sometimes, right? I, I'm showing you logically this. Your numbers have actually gone down and three years you've worked here. You're the first year you were gangbusters. Now you're down. What's going on? You know, but yeah, you're asking for more money. Yeah, but I've been here. Well, I got experience. Yeah, but that experience isn't helping me. So I, I spend that time trying to reverse engineer our training and try to bring mindset to people. And if they just, if I see the writings on the wall, I'm going to lose someone or they're shopping me, which they will do that. It's like, okay, then I just legally bind them, have papers drawn up, and then say, well, if you leave at this time, here's your bonus. We're going to try to bring you up in salary. This is your production standard that we're expecting you to hold. And if you don't, then um, you choose to leave, not if you don't, but if you choose to leave before your time period is up, you would owe back X amount of, you know, of that, uh, whether it's a CEU course or you, you fill in the blank or just a salary bonus or whatever. Um, And that has actually gone shockingly well. Uh, It's been received well. No one's received it negatively. They've been very much like, I think they almost feel like, okay, this is a real job now. It's kind of a weird, it's a weird, like it's funny they didn't think it was before, but with that piece of legal paperwork, it's like, okay, this is legit now. And they kind of tend to buckle down and uh, it secures the production goes up. Things going way out in the future, obviously, it's all going to come down to cost containment. I'm look, I've looked at three different practices to purchase in the last five years or whatever, and all of them, their rents were, a couple of them, their rents were just exorbitant, way out of line. Um, I do all the same stuff that you do with uh, performas going through, and I want to make sure that once I acquire their, their practice, what am I really getting? Am I just getting um, a mailing list? Am I getting just that or am I getting other things? Well, no, you're going to rent the clinic from them, all this stuff that the clinic is set so high. Um, and that's the reason why the person's getting out in the first place because they're having a hard time making it. Um, everything has got to be run through that filter of percent of GI. I don't want anything over 50% for all labor costs throughout the entire company. And I know that's higher, I think, than what you even shoot for. Um, but that's just kind of where it's been setting. Uh, marketing 10% and then down rent in the fives, four or 5%. 
And if it gets up to 8%, like, no, we can't do the deal. So a lot of it is very, uh, it's like a lab, you know, science, science experiment, trying to get these numbers to line up. So. Yeah. Very fair. Um, a couple of things that you talked about and mentioned. Uh, the first one was efficiency in the very beginning. And you're talking about looking at a metrics dashboard, Steve, um, mm -hmm. when you're doing that, it's primarily around like space and personnel utilization, right? And efficiencies, that's the main, the primary thing that you look at. And then you have a way that you talk about in the book of breaking down to metrics and submetrics and looking at driving forces and things like that. Is that, do I have that right? Yep. Yep. Cool. Yeah. We look at it from, and, and we're not, um, we're not on um, right now in one of our clinics. I mean, and that's just part of it. You know, it's the, the rules and laws we put in on ourselves. You know, we have to abide by as well. But you know, we look at a metrics dashboard. Um, I obviously the stats are done every week. We've got 170 some odd stats, but there's no way I'm going to look at all of them. So boil them down in just a handful that I actually put into just real quick. I mean, here's a printout version of it, but I've created it. There's a lot of little data there, but it's year by year averages per week because we do everything by week. Um, we look at quarterly, we look at monthly, we look at all these things, but we look at it um, from two different angles on our metrics. We look at trend line, we look at, uh, if this is where your question was going, obviously, or are you? Oh, no, you're, you're great. Okay. I, okay. I, I just wanted to make sure I had efficiencies yeah. right and how you yeah. think about it, but this is what you're sharing is perfect. Yeah. So we want to make sure that, you know, I break all that down from the top of big numbers. How many visits are you doing in each clinic, the total company? Obviously, we want that average to be elevated. We want it going up, not down. Uh, we look at trend lines. Are you growing? Are you sinking? So we could have a high average, but we're declining, right? That's a problem. So we want to make sure that all that uh, data is in flux. Um, but then we also break it down into per therapist. Uh, and then we also break it down in each division. So division six, uh, you know, in the marketing area, we look at each one of the buckets. Um, you know, if you look, everything I do is pretty mechanical. <laughs> so it's like a hierarchy, everything's drawn out. Like marketing is made up of four components. So four buckets make all this up. So we want all those ratios to be in a certain level, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, former patients uh, and Andrea will say, oh yeah, I know 50%. Like I do, if they're under 50% each week for former patients, I get irate because it's like something's not right. That means we're not pushing out the cheapest level of marketing possible. We're not doing the things that cost you nothing. <laughs> Pick up the phone and call them. I go, I've got my money in labor right now. They could be calling and get someone in here that's a current pay or a former patient. So I want to push as much as we can there um, and make sure that those ratios are in, in check, 20, 25% for docs. And then, you know, uh, patient referrals is somewhere around 10, 10% and then the remainders general public. So yeah, but I have that for all of these areas um, and, and, and uh, physical therapists, same thing, PTAs, making sure that when I go through all their averages per week, that. Um, I, I condition formula out in Excel. So it's, if the group has a certain set average, like say they're all averaging at 40, 40 to 45 a week and anyone that's below that, they turn red, they get this report. I mean, it's, we use a lot of different things to hold all those uh, things in check. Things become inefficient when people 
are slacking behind and it's they may not realize they're slacking behind you gotta do as much as you can to bring it to their attention once they got it, their attention on it it's theirs and theirs alone and you don't it. so yeah. i i want to so. tie a couple of things together and thanks for uh going into that um number one is most of our industry in, in private practice PT, we function only because we don't have a lot of business acumen. And it's obvious that you have a lot, but uh, we're trained as clinicians. We don't have a lot of business acumen. We want the benefits of a, a business mm-hmm. right? that's growing and, and the impact that we're making in the oh, area, wow. but we don't know how to do it. Correct. So uh, yeah. And I mean, lots happen there and we have yeah. lags and we're afraid to charge people co-pays and collect deductibles and all that fun stuff. Right. So oh, yeah. let's have to go through that. Um, and the, the other thing is when we hear good business acumen, sometimes we'll kind of push it away mm-hmm. um, because it's like, Oh, you know, if we're objective and if we're scientific in growing a business or if we hold people accountable, that's no, somehow that's no fun, but we do need to keep our doors open right yeah. there. Unfortunately, there are, uh, business laws at work that determine whether we can provide physical therapy service tomorrow or not. Right. And exactly like you said there, in terms of holding the accountability, we've done the same thing for a CEU over a certain dollar threshold where uh, we just request a one page, like, how's it going to help you um, yeah. deliver more value in the marketplace? Mm-hmm. Um, and we noticed one of two things would happen. One is the request would go away. Um, because it was, and we had like some ridiculous requests when we first put it in, like just things that were not related at all. You know, why, why do you want to do this? I think it would be fun is not a really good answer. Right. Um, the, but what it forced the team to do is think ahead and, okay, I'm going to take this course. They now have more purposeful learning. Yep. They now have better, uh, implementation on the back end. Um, and rather than go out you know, drinking the night before, I'm sure that never happened. <laughs> but, uh, you know, rather than waste that time and just think it's a free, you know, trip or travel. Now we're actually thinking about how we can apply this. When we get back in the clinic, it made it, um, it, it made those dollars significantly more accountable. And it wasn't you or I telling them to do that. It's they originated the, the team right. originated that themselves. Yes. Um, yeah, when it comes from self determinism, comes from within the side themselves their intention on getting that is going to be so much better yeah and it's better for you in the end too so yeah so it it seems like you have an amazing team right now steve and i'm sure um it the walk isn't always rosy right so at all um as you're going through and you're creating the five-star experience can you talk about how you help a team member maybe level up or self-correct because i i'm a believer and i think you are as well that you know, if we do our job in hiring and attracting the right team member and training them mm-hmm. at 95% of the time, plus they're going to self-correct. Yep. There are the, the 5% outliers though. And I know yep. everybody listening to this has dealt with that 5%. Can you talk about how, um, how you think through that, how you give people, you know, how you develop your team, how you nurture your team. And then if, uh, like you mentioned mm-hmm. before, if you see the writing on the wall, that something's not going to work out. How you handle that yeah you're writing on the wall that something's not going to work out is when um, your rehabilitative measures don't stick yeah. 
after several times, you know, it, and it's not hard. None of this stuff, you know, we're not asking people to split the atom. You know, it's uh, fairly simple. Uh, when their behavior changes just so long, they get better and then they cycle, they default, they default, they default. Uh, it, it's okay, are you going to make this fix or not? You know, um, so most of what we do again is systematic on the training end of it and the the training coaching and performance review process is all in one i kind of designed it that way five years ago and we went from an annual review which was can you remember what you did what what the person did 12 months but you can't remember so i'm like this is not very effective because we get to the end and it's like are they worth a raise or not yeah okay great we got to be better than this. So how can I bring all this together? So we went to a monthly process. Um, clinic director obviously does all the reviews for their juniors, so on and so forth. So, and that is part of it. If you have what we call patient situations um, or low producers, you know, patient situations, what we refer to as someone had a breakdown, person got upset, they left, right? Or they're, they're not communicating with us anymore. They didn't get it corrected. So, and by tracking that, again, there's another metrics thing. You know, if you've got 15 therapists on your staff and then two of them always have, you know, one a month, two a month, you know, you should have zero. It's just people are people. I get it. You know, maybe zero is unrealistic, but we've had them go zero. We've had a lot of people go with zero in a year. I mean, so it can be done. It takes energy. It takes, you got to be on your toes when you, pick up those cues that are not talked about in the book, the cues of nonverbal where they're kind of not the same as they were a day ago, two days ago. They got to learn how to pick those things up. Some are better than others. Uh, so how do you train someone to level up wherever their weaknesses are at? Obviously, you know, we don't want to focus so much on it, but it seems like that tends to be where some of our best producers, um, they're really good at running volume they can keep people on schedule they can keep them going through but they tend to miss some of the nonverbals. they miss communicate things they just you know they kind of tend to be too much into just produce 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 so we spend time in that review going through that going let's walk through and we take each one here's five people Susie John and of course once the, re the patient situation happens it's a whole write-up thing I mean I know it sounds like a lot of work but it, well, I found it to be invaluable to take that time and write up. It, it's like, it looks like an FBI report when you're, when you're done, but it's like, what happened here? What exactly happened? What time did it happen? What was their body language? Have we tried contacting this person? What was their chief complaint? What did they, what words specifically did they keep saying to try to really flesh out those things? Well, they just kept saying they were just really frustrated that no one was telling them about their, uh, their co-pays. Oh, and so this is really that shocking. Like, why couldn't we just have talked to them about the copays and fixed it? I mean, it's a simple handling. So you take those bad moments and you try to learn from it, right? And it's like, take all those little cues, reverse engineer it again and try to teach people, this is what you want to be picking up on, you know? So I have seen that help in the leveling up. And then obviously you can see it in the metrics. So yeah. we remeasure everything. So. Great. Yep. So, um, uh, 
one last question for you here. And then uh, I, want, sure. I want to talk a little bit more about the book, but uh, as a practice owner, um, and I think I know the answer to this, but uh, it seems like you're working uh, somewhere between 80 and 100 hours a week uh, doing all you know the reviews and metrics analysis. And uh, I'm not. Plan I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> but uh, you, you know, over time, you've built tremendous control right. with regards to um, the dashboards, the business, the way you look at the metrics. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about your efficiency in, in terms of doing that? Because I know um, you also have some, uh, what's a good way to put that, time freedom. You're exploring many areas in life. Yeah. You had time mm -hmm. to write the book, which is in itself you know, its own accomplishment, but you're mm -hmm. a family man with other interests, everything else. So can you talk about that a little bit in the balance that you have there um, and no longer having to work an 80 hour week? I, I think it's, I think it's building the right habits. I really think it's probably that simple when you're on the other side, trying to get started, you can't picture yourself getting out of just work mode. You can't picture yourself being a leader of a group and then, okay, everyone's got their jobs. Okay. I'm going to go fishing for the day. You, know, it's, you can't picture that right away. So, um, but definitely, um, putting in as much structure as possible and systems and those systems change as you know they what works now doesn't work once you get bigger you know it's scaling has to change and processes have to change but it's staying on top of that watching the metrics making sure that the, you know the end justifies the means when we make those changes that we don't change for change sake i've made that mistake too many times hey we need to do this we need to change that um, and then it ends up crashing your stats out. It's like, just leave it alone if things are going well, you know. Um, but, you know, how did I get there? I think it's just building good habits, much like how to, you know, how do you stay fit? You know, you always stay fit, Chad. You're always working out, right? I mean, you, you have good, healthy personal habits, right? You're always reading. There's never a time when I don't hear you, hey, I read a new book. You read more than anybody I've ever met in my life. It's impressive. It's like, I can't keep up with it and you're way busier running a bigger organization than I am. So maybe I should flip the question back to you. <laughs> How do you do it? Cause it's, it's the same thing. It's just on a different level. Um, for me, it was just putting in, okay, if I want to know where my averages are each week and my current software doesn't do it, I need to create that sheet, right? Creating tools and then making sure that I do it on the same day every week. I know this sounds really not very sexy, but it really was that simple. Um, and I run everything off of that. Great. And so I can clear out the BS when I'm looking and going, we're 100 visits below average we were last year, year over year, and yet you're telling me we need to hire? Something's not making sense. Yeah. So that that isn't a real scenario. I'm just like, but it has happened before. I'm like, seriously, you think we need to hire somebody? Like, what the heck are you talking about? And so I shoot. And they know around here, the minute they bring me something, anybody on the leadership team, I'm going to be like, it's going to be 20 questions. It's going to be an FBI interrogation. And it's not to be mean. It's to teach them also how to get in that mode of processing and thinking. Flesh things out. Make sure that you know why you're making the decisions before you make them. So. The, the uh, quick answer, <laughs> if you were going to reverse it, is uh, to, so in building a business, I, I always think it's the right team, right? Nothing new there. Jim Collins, right yep. people on the bus, uh, the right team members who um, share culture and 
are bought into the vision and the right systems. And the glue that holds everything together is the metrics. Because if, if you're able to balance all that out, you yeah. should have the results. You know, it's the Lencioni pyramid. Right. Um, exactly. Yep. The right mm -hmm. culture with trust, accountability, commitment, et cetera. We're producing results at the top, shows out in the metrics, uh, and it can be a pretty simple game. The, uh, the alarming thing that I usually share through Breakthrough is that I only really work in Madden PT about three hours a week, and that some people get offended by that. Um, but I, I do so much in, for Breakthrough. I'm working with owners all the time, and I still mm -hmm. come to the office and do the Breakthrough work here. How many hours a week on average are you managing using to manage uh, the business? Three, about three to four tops. Great. So the, it's yeah. not a, it's not a 50 hour a week. No, job. no. And no I, I just want that picture to be no. for everybody that as they're reading through the book um, and they're thinking about implementing this, mm -hmm. put the right systems in place. It actually takes you from a 50 or 85 yes. hour work week or whatever. And it right. makes it more concise. And if you still want to treat 15 hours a week in the clinic, plus manage the business, fantastic, or whatever that may look like, but it actually helps them become a lot more efficient and buys them time back by building systems like you've outlined in your book. Yeah, I think in the end, it's um, none of this stuff, third graders have it figured out. I mean, it really is like, what do you, what do you want? You know, a third grader knows what he wants, right? I'm going to get a drink, go to the bathroom, I play football with my buddies, whatever. We get like weird when we get to become adults, like, what do I want? Well, I want this, but I can't have it because, because if I do that, then this happens. And it's like, we just sabotage everything. It's like, sometimes we just need to quit thinking and just go do it. And if we don't like the drama that happens in the workplace, which we've had some around the years, so like anybody has, we had a lot, in fact, just two months ago, which I felt like, oh, this is great. I'm going to launch this dang book now. And I've got like complete upheaval in my staff and everything. And it's, it, it come down to just me again, getting the leadership team together and say, what the hell's going on? I mean, let, let's, do you guys like this? Do you like coming to leadership team and just bitching the whole time? So it's like, because if we don't like that, then let's don't accept that anymore and let's find another way. Wouldn't it be nice just to come to work and do your job and do it well and maybe take off early and, you know, have things in control and yeah. Like, this is not normal, guys, to have all this bickering and uh, there's something amiss here. Like, and it's, oh, yeah. Then they start thinking, oh, you're right. That is, but well, we all get sucked into it. Yeah. It happens so, for sure. Um, so, question for you What is the best way to get in contact with you or uh, get a copy of the book? Sure. Um, the feelgoodexperience.net. So, it's actually T F G E, the feelgoodexperience.net. So if you type that in, it'll send you directly to the author page that we have on the website. And there is a uh, tab that you can click to purchase the book and it'll take you to Amazon where you can buy it. And there's also a tab there, which I would like people to click to follow me on LinkedIn. Wonderful. And um, the other question that I have for you is if somebody wanted like, I don't know, 80 copies of the book. How would they go about doing that? Would you send them to, to Amazon or is there another place? Um, would they just reach out to you through LinkedIn to do? Just, just reach out to me then. Yep, just reach out to me. I'll get it to you. Yeah, I've shipped I've shipped books all over. I just, with our world, people are pretty comfortable with uh, you know, buying online, but absolutely, if they want to buy a whole bunch of them, then, yep, yep. take care of that. Yeah, the uh, oh. we, I just sent out, uh, last week we did a 
a send out of a breakthrough advertising by Eugene Schwartz um, for our marketers. Now, um, I think this is the next in line for us um, for yep. not, not only my business, but also uh, the key owners that we work with. So yeah, good. Thank you for putting the work in. Very good. There, Appreciate Steve. it. And uh, any, any parting words here before we, before we sign off? Hey, running a practice is really no different than getting through school, losing weight. I mean, getting up when you want to get up out of bed. I mean, it's literally just discipline. It's just sticking with the things that make sense. You know, we talk about practice growth. My recommendation to anybody that's wanting to grow a practice or become a practice owner is think about why you're wanting to do it. If it's for financial reasons, don't hide from that. Mine was. I mean, I talked about in the beginning. I come from very poor family. I wanted to have a better life. That's okay. I think in our world today, it's, it's looked like it's a, it's a sin to be successful and be prosperous. And no, it's, it's actually wrong to be the other way. You know, take care of your family. The only way you can do that is if you're prosperous. So uh, it's my motivational speech is go out there and achieve it because dream big, you can't do it. So if I can, anybody can. So great. Love that, Steve. Thank, Thank you, you so Jim. much for uh, sharing here again. And uh, for everybody that's listening, make sure you go to uh, tfge.net, uh, pick up a copy of the book. Um, and if you want to order uh, one for everybody, for all of your staff, which I highly recommend, uh, you'll want to do once you read through it yourself. Um, just reached out to uh, Steve yeah. uh, on LinkedIn right there, and he can you get you set up. Thanks, Perfect. everybody. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.